Um, well, we've been looking at uh, the early church in Acts, and as I've said before, the relevance of that, I think, now is that uh, we are, you know, planning what fork in the road to take in uh, the days ahead for our church, and a good time then to see what, what, what are the norms, what would be the kinds of things that should prevail and be routine, actually, in a good, healthy church. And so we've been uh, looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and following. And uh, the question that I'm trying to deal with or answer here is, what are the activities, the functions that belong in every good church in every time and place? And so far, far we have looked at four of these from verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles, to the teaching pretty important, to the fellowship, pretty important, to the breaking of bread, and again, very important. And by the way, I think all Christian denominations with maybe about two exceptions, Salvation Army is one of them, uh, practice the breaking of bread, communion, okay? And uh, so again, an important function in the opinion of the church universal and certainly it's prevalent in the scriptures. And then prayer. And again, nobody would argue but that that is uh, one of the important functions. Well, today we go down to verse 47. And there are two things there. Praising God. Hmm. Yeah. The whole area of worship. Exalting, glorifying, honoring the Lord. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And then I look forward to next week when it says in the Lord, added to their number. Outreach. Being a church that reaches out beyond itself. And uh, that is part of the gospel mandate. But today we want to look especially at worship. Which of course is about giving our praise, giving our adoration to the Lord and doing it together. And, uh, and, of course, as I referred to the wonderful songs we sang, that element was there in all of them. And, uh, frankly, uh, the Christian church has, from the very beginning, from the very beginning, gathered regularly for corporate worship. And it's going on today, around the world. Some worship on Saturday, some wor worship on Saturday nights, some worship on Sunday nights, and so on. That doesn't matter, but weekly, at least, coming together for worship. I wonder how many this weekend are part of that aggregate number of worshipers around the world. Obviously in the millions. And we're part of that. And many of them are small like we are. Many of them are very large and most are somewhere probably in between, although I think probably more in small churches than in large churches. The word worship, well, we use it, um, we use it in different ways. And uh, we use the word worship in the sense that all of life is, is worship, in the sense that all of life is to be lived for his glory. And that's a legitimate uh, thing to say, that all of life is, a, is, is an act of worship. And then, of course, we use it for the worship service. As we gather together, this whole service is worship service. 
But I want to use it in a narrower sense today, and I want to talk about more of that aspect within the worship service, that aspect where we are intentionally praising the Lord, okay? We're not really doing that right now as we listen to the message. Now we're, we're receiving instruction, right? We're not really doing that when we have our coffee fellowship. Very vital, very important. But I'm talking about worship in that narrower sense, which is when we are more on the giving side to the Lord, okay? When we give Him our praise, when we give Him our adoration, when we intentionally exalt Him, set aside part of our time just to, just to do that, to look upward, so to speak. And uh, the offering is part of that, because then we are, we are actually on the giving side of that. I like to, I like to tell a little human interest story here, and I hope, uh, you know, stop your stopwatches for just a couple of minutes. I just want to tell you something that, that happened uh, uh, some time ago. And uh, I was, went back to seminary some for, from some further studies, and on that particular week we were studying on worship, and uh, one of my classmates and I, we were doing research on the subject of the offering in church. Being a, being a worship, part of worship. I never thought of that. Never thought of uh, offering as a time of worship. It's, you know, you're just giving, right? But because we studied it, and I saw it in the uh, Old Testament, and I came to that realization that, well, of course, bringing our tithes and our gifts is part of our giving to the Lord. So it's, uh, it's very legitimate for perhaps more formal churches to really recognize it as this is worship, okay? Okay. We were supposed to go to uh, different churches, and we were, supposed to, we were asked to actually evaluate the worship in the, uh, where we attended that Sunday. And so this, this, as I've been saying to you, is keen on my mind. I go to this particular Baptist church, and the offering is being taken up. The offering, an act of worship where we are on the giving end. And it was totally amusing. The offertory was played and it was fill my cup lord fill my cup lord and it struck me as really funny because i was you know in my mind i'm thinking worship is our giving to the lord and here uh, she played for the offertory and so it's not a common thing in, in many of our churches to even think of uh, the offering as a part of worship now you can uh, re-engage your stopwatches that that was for free okay but um I'm talking about that aspect of worship where we are giving to the Lord. We give Him our praise. We offer our adoration to Him. Now, <clears throat> I'd like to at this time uh, give you an analogy that has been very uh, significant to me through the years uh, about corporate worship. And... Uh, this particular analogy is credited to Kierkegaard, that Danish melancholy philosopher and theologian. And uh, he drew upon a live drama presentation, you know, going to a live drama, a play, as an analogy for, for a corporate worship. And uh, in the play, you have three categories of participants. You have, of course, the audience, 
no sense having a play unless you have an audience. You have actors that are on the stage. And uh, then, uh, not as evident, but very important, you have prompters. You, you know, maybe they're hiding behind the curtains and they'll whisper the cues to you to make sure that things are being said that need to be said. Now, how do each of these correspond to our worship time together, a worship service? What do you think? I'd, I'd like one or two opinions. <laughs> if you've heard this analogy, that, then don't enter it. You already know the answer. But if you're just kind of guessing at this time, what would you think would be what he intends here? Who would be the actors in a worship service? Who would be the prompters? Who would be the audience? Anybody? One opinion? I won't pass or fail you. Okay. Huh? You get an A+. Plus. God is the audience. Um, and uh, the cues, the prompters, they would be the Adriels, right? And Lloyds and these people who are up front. We are prompting the rest of you to worship. And so the actors then become everybody. You are, you are the active players in the drama of worship. God is the audience, but for worship to be coordinated, then you need these upfront people, you know, to do the prompting, to bring things together, to do a little pushing and a little encouragement. And so that's the way it translates. The prompters are the upfront people. The regulars, all of you are the actors. Imagine that. You're acting in a drama for God, who is the audience. Now, I like this, this model. It's very helpful, and I want to elaborate a little bit on all three. It's helpful because it it really highlines that all of us together are the worshipers, okay? We are the active players in our togetherness and as individuals in a worship service. I like it because the upfront people are there not to perform, but to prompt, to prod, to encourage, to coordinate the worship of all the people. And I think that's important, and I think sometimes that gets lost. Um, but it means that the test of being a good worship leader, to be an upfront, you know, on the worship team, etc., etc., the test of being effective isn't how well their singing is. <laughs> it isn't how skillful they are as musicians. That's not really the bottom line test. But the test is the participation of the worshipers. Are they helping us, prodding us, keeping us together so that we can worship. Just like the test of a teacher would be, are the students learning? Okay? The test of hockey coach Todd McClellan, are the Oilers winning? By the way, he must be doing well. They won again last night. But that would be the test of a hockey coach. And the test of the upfront worship team people is, are the people really getting into worship? I like that. That's good. And uh, I think there are some indications of, of that. The one is, are they singing? <laughs> you know? 
are you really involved yourself or are you just listening to our excellent musicians? Indication. And I think another one is, is there a sense of togetherness among us? Okay? And, uh, and, and so there's, uh, there's that. And just as a, a drama production is for the people in the seats, so our whole time of worship is for the Lord, for he is the audience. It is to him that we offer our praise and thanksgiving. It is he that we seek to honor and glorify. He is the audience. Well, that's background. Now I want to talk about three things here, closely related. The first point is simply that worship is about God, and worship is to God. Secondly, corporate worship is about us together. And then finally, worship is about me as an individual. But to begin with, worship is not only about God, but it is to God. As we said, he is the audience. And that word worship comes from worthship. To worship is to ascribe supreme worth to him. For he alone is worthy, ultimately. Psalm 96, 7-9, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory. It's quite a statement in itself. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Worth, ascribing worth. Revelation, as Kim read for us, 5.12, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power, riches, wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. Through him all things were created. But again, worthy. That's the meaning of worship. Now when we do that, when we ascribe praise, glory to him, there's something else that's going on at the same time, and that is our response, right? We are responding to all that. And uh, so uh, you, can, you can really say that a good description of worship is it's an active response to God whereby we declare, we state, we propose, we remind people of his worth. An active response to God whereby we declare his worth. And so worship then becomes like a, two, a cycle with two parts, right? There is what we can call the revealing and the response. Revealing as in unveiling or reminding ourselves of the qualities of God. Um, I like the word highline. We choose to highline some things about the Lord, his power, uh, his grace, his love. And then we find ourselves responding to that. As we hear or as we read truth about God, uh, as we perhaps in some cases read the, uh, recite creeds, sing certain songs that describe truth about him, at the same time something else is happening in that we are responding. We are, somehow our hearts, you know, re it resonates with us. We humble ourselves, we express our awe, we express our love, our adoration. And so in response then to being reminded about who he is, truths about him being highlined, and perhaps some additional truths that we'd never even talked about or thought about before. 
In response to that, we humble ourselves. We extol him. We express ourselves in love and adoration. Later, we're going to sing that uh, wonderful song. It's not so old. I think it became uh, popular in North America in my, well, youth. How great thou art. But in that song is an example where you see both the response. You see the description of God and his power. And then there's the clear response to that. In the verse, I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe displayed. And then you come to the chorus, and the chorus goes, then sings my soul, you see. And in the Swedish, it's a little more like my soul bursts out in song. You have that reminder, the highlining, the revelation about what God is like, who he is, what he's done, and then you have the response to that. I was thinking of uh, that as we sang that song, Faithful One, uh, earlier you know, describes God's faithfulness. And then the response is, you are my rock. I am depending on you. See? Revelation and response. Well, that's part of it. And uh, all of life, really, is for his honor and glory. But there is something special, I think, about a worship service. It's a time that is set aside where we have that opportunity to be very intentional and very direct, expressing clearly and intentionally that he is worthy. And as far as we're concerned, he is number one. We have chosen. That's one of the good reasons to be in church most Sundays. It's a way of making a statement. God is number one. And so I have my Sabbath, and part of my Sabbath is to come together for worship. And, you know, I suggest we may need that even more than we realize for our own sake, not just for his honor, but we need it too. Because we need that special time where we forget about ourselves, where we get distracted from our anxieties and our weaknesses, even our regrets for a while, and to say no to that prevalent meism that is lurking all around us, and choose rather to concentrate on him. You know, it's often been said that the criteria of a worship service shouldn't be what did I get out of it, but what did God get out of it? Was he really honored? Was he really glorified? And here I stress again, these other parts are important. We need the instruction for how to live. We need the encouragement. We need the fellowship. But at bottom... Was the Lord really honored? Was he really glorified? And I, and I would just, I'm going to say something. I would venture, I would guess, okay? The next time there's a conversation with one of your friends and they visited some church and they're describing that church for you, I'm going to guess they won't be answering the question, was the Lord really glorified or honored, but that the conversation will tend to be about other things, you know. Was the sermon good? Was the singing good? Was the church friendly? Did the people really welcome me? And those are important things. But I'm just going to guess that uh, nothing will be said about was the Lord really, really honored. Did they find a way of exalting Jesus Christ? Well, that should really be 
the ultimate test of, you know, of, of a worship service. And, you know, with that in mind, it also means that not all worship is equal. I mean, if worship is declaring God's worth, then uh, the measure about whether it's good worship or not has to do with whether, well, is the Lord really in focus? You know, as he is. Uh, truth. Jesus said that true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Is there anything said? Is there truth about him that is focused? Is it about him? I worship a, a Christian leader by the name of Marva Dawn a number of years ago now. I've heard her in person, but I think before that she uh, uh, wrote this book called Reaching Out Without Dumbing Down. But, it's, uh, but she talks about worship. And uh, she's sort of giving a good-natured critique of one song that I guess was popular at the time and showing that it, it really wasn't praising the Lord, even though it said it was going to praise the word and, uh, Lord. And uh, the song's name is, I Will Celebrate. I Will Celebrate. Sing unto the Lord. And then that's being repeated over and over again. And then she says, um, <clears throat> God is never the subject in this song. But with all the repeats, I, I is the subject <laughs> 28 times. And it's all about, I'm going to worship, I'm going to worship, I'm going to worship the Lord, but, or celebrate. But it doesn't really say anything about the Lord, so he isn't really being praised. Here's, uh, here's just a technicality. But if I say, praise the Lord, I'm not really praising him. I'm just saying that, let's do it, you know, praise the Lord. And maybe that song can be an invitation to worship where people express, I will celebrate. That's why I'm here this morning. I'm going to praise the Lord. And then after that, we sing songs that really praise him, that talk about him. Well, maybe I'm being too critical. Does it really matter? And I'm saying we are living in an age where this meism, this emphasis on self-fulfillment, Meism has been here since Adam and Eve, but I sense that we are living in a day and age where meism is almost celebrated, applauded. It's like start with making sure you are fulfilled yourself, okay? And so I think we need to be discerning in the worship of the Lord that it doesn't become another example of it's all about me, it's about him. Worship is about God. He is the audience. But being the responders, it is also about us. Worship is about our togetherness, one another. The book of Psalms is really the worship manual in the Old Testament. And uh, you see that reflected throughout the Psalms that the worship is a congregational experience. And in the early church, as I've been saying, the last few Sundays, they spent a lot of time together. They were sharing their resources, taking care of the needy, sharing hospitality. And uh, they were very much together, and worship was that way too. And I think it's quite interesting that uh, verse 47 sort of puts these two together, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. I like that. They're praising the Lord and enjoying the favor of the people. Sort of goes together. And that is certainly one reason why I uh, encourage, what I like to do is to begin the worship service by having a time to welcome one another because 
we are worshiping him, but we're doing it together as a congregation. Corporate worship, and frankly, the experience of worship is enhanced in our togetherness through the warmth of fellowship, caring one another, we are motivated to worship with greater commitment and a renewed, and, and, and we tend to get renewed in our overall commitment to follow Jesus because of the encouragement that comes from one another. And uh, again, that puts a special responsibility of us when we're leading worship, the prompters to lead in a way that brings people together, see. And you can tell, are these people, are they together? In one of my churches, and I, I'm a little chagrined at it, not having noticed this before, but uh, one of our older seniors uh, was very with it. And on this particular occasion, he went up into the balcony because he was going to shoot a video of our service. I think it had to do with the celebration, maybe an anniversary or something. But he went up there to shoot a video and he looked down on the congregation and he reported later, he says, we are a divided church. And he noticed how that the clusters over here and clusters over there and clusters over there. Hey, I'm chagrined to tell you that I hadn't really paid attention to that and hadn't really dealt with it. But that's part of the responsibility of those who are leaders is to encourage togetherness in the way that we worship. And part of that is to worship in a style and in the choice of songs that are reasonably familiar so that people can enter into it. You think of the many different styles of worship, you know. You have liturgical, you have informal, you have worship that is very enthusiastic, you have worship that's dignified, Contemporary, traditional, charismatic style, high church, low church. Can we really say that God is more pleased with one than the other? I wouldn't want to say that. It's a matter of taste. And I'm not going to assume that his, that his taste buds are the same as, as, as mine. But as we lead worship, we want to do it in a style that resonates with people means that depending on what denomination I'm serving as a transition pastor, I'm going to enter into the kind of style that they are comfortable with. More relevant for us would be the choice of songs. Uh, you know, you want to choose songs that are reasonable, reasonably familiar. And if you're learning new songs, let's not try to learn four at once, <laughs> but let's learn one at a time so that people can really resonate that songs that resonate with them. We worship better when it is on our own wavelength. Now, let me tell you, I grew up in a small rural church. It was officially Pentecostal, but um, it really was interdenominational in the way that it did things, and especially with Pastor uh, Lima. Uh, he was someone who was so delighted to see the evidence of Christian commitment in everybody he met, whether they were Lutheran or Pentecostal or something else. And, uh, but because of the community, because of the makeup of the congregation, as well as his background, he decided to conduct the first service of every month in Norwegian. 
because it was very much of a Norwegian community. And often on that day, there would be visitors from other churches in attendance. Why? Because they liked and respected Lima? Well, yes, but I don't think that was the main reason. I think it was especially because they could worship in their mother tongue on that particular Sunday. You see, expecting more of a response from people when you worship in a style or in a language or in the kind of songs that resonate with them. What is the culture among us? What resonates best, formal or informal? Depends on the context. Depends on the kind of people you want to be a good church for. I'm sure that if you, as uh, Travis, uh, I'm sure that if you're doing a service at Hope um, Center, you would do it differently than here, right? You, you, you connect with uh, the group that you're trying to minister to. Often, the deciding factor is about music. And it's very sad to say that too often the music determines the demographic of your congregation. And unfortunately, some churches have lost their young people, partly because they failed to use any of the kinds of songs that especially were liked by our young people. And it seems that in many churches today, they fail to accommodate the older people singing almost exclusively contemporary songs. <laughs> and us old people with white hair, we matter too. And somehow a church is incomplete if there isn't people from every age group. And I really mean that. A good, complete church needs the older seniors, the younger seniors, the middle-agers, the young uh, parents, the teenagers, and the children, really. You know, and every, every group has something special to contribute. The older folk with their calm wisdom, the middle-aged people who have both wisdom and reasonable amount of energy, the younger adults with their vision and enthusiasm and extra energy and creativity, the teens with their dreams and their ups and downs, and it's so delightful to see little children. They actually demonstrate the kingdom for us. And so we need them, we want them. Each group has something important to bring. And the challenge is to lead in such a way that there is a spirit of togetherness among all the people and all the age groups. And that means that we lead in a way that resonates with every age group. And that's not rocket science. And that, in turn, necessitates a spirit of cooperation on the part of everybody. Music-wise, that will almost always, in our North American Canadian culture, that means that it's going to almost always mean using both the older and the newer songs in their styles. And we're doing that here the best we, the best we know how. And uh, that's the way it should be. Um, I, I've, I've told you about this before when we're in Philippians, but I'm going to tell it again. Reverend Bill Cram was uh, for several years our executive minister in the, the denomination that I've been ordained with, the Baptist Union of Western Canada. He died in 1998 in a cycling accident up in Prince George. He was on staff at that time at the same church as the senior pastor at Ellerslie Road. I think his name is Ham. 
came from that church, but it was cycling and he was tragically killed. But I will never forget, and I keep telling people this observation that he made, and he was referring to humility in Philippians 2.3, where it says, with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than yourself, okay? And then he applied it to the music wars. Yeah, that's, that was before uh, 1998, but there were still music wars going on, and this is what he said. He said that when we are singing a traditional song, the younger people in humility could be thinking like this, you know, I'm glad we're singing this traditional hymn. It's not my kind of music, but I know this means a lot to those who are older. And you know, they'll soon be meeting Jesus, and so uh, their needs are more important than my needs right now, okay? And then he says, when we're singing a contemporary song, humility on part of the older person says, not my kind of music, but I'm glad we're singing it because I know it means a lot to the younger folk. After all, they have a lifetime ahead of them with all its struggles and temptations, and their needs are more important than my needs right now. Hey, <laughs> that's the kind of spirit that reinforces togetherness. And that's the kind of spirit that makes it possible for all ages to worship together and to celebrate one another. And let's have that kind of spirit. And as we look ahead, <coughs> and suppose that we do come together with the other church and we'll, have, we'll make a contribution and in, uh, our input will make a difference in how we do things. Let's aim to have that kind of a spirit. A church of all ages and thus together bringing honor and glory to Christ. You know, there's a powerful statement that we can apply to corporate worship in Romans 15, verses 5 and 6. Paul says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to, to live in such harmony with one another. Harmony with one another in accord there's another good word of harmony. In accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. Worship. It's about God, but it's also about our togetherness. And then finally, and I'll keep this one short, worship is about me as an individual. I am responsible to bring that cooperative attitude just mentioned I'm responsible to come with a receptive heart. I'm responsible to forget about myself and to concentrate on Him. I'm responsible to give Him my attention, my praise, my adoration, my con and my confession, and to present myself before Him in a submissive, humble, and teachable spirit. And you know, I come as an individual who chooses, okay? And uh, I can choose the right, gracious approach when inevitably things are not going to be perfect. <laughs> you know, we're not going to always be on tune. We're not always going to sound good. And we're not always going to do all the right things. But I can choose. I can choose in the way I respond. I can choose to be a worshiper myself, engaged according to the whole person, mind, will, emotion, 
Uh, the bottom line is simply this. I can choose to give myself fully. And so, as an individual, don't be critical of others. Those who are maybe less expressive than you, or critical of those who are very expressive, but accept that togetherness and that with one voice we can worship our, our Lord. In conclusion, God is first. God is worthy. And God is the audience. We, every one of us, whatever our age, whatever our talent, whatever our significance in other parts of our lives, we have been given the opportunity to perform in the greatest drama on earth. We are all given leading parts in this drama. And when we do it, it's like a rehearsal for eternity. Revelation 5, 14 and following, 13 and 14. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Yeah, that's what we're caught up in. Let's pray and then we're going to have a closing hymn. Father, we simply want to express at this time that it is such a privilege that we, little we, all of us, whatever our significance might be elsewhere, here as individuals, we are given opportunity to be to have active roles in this symphony that is for your glory and praise. And Father, we pray that even as we sang at the beginning that we will be living a life of praise from the time that the sun comes up and the sun goes down. Father, accept our worship and our praise through Jesus. Amen.